Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. I am currently traveling for work, so there will not be a news segment this week, but as usual, I will catch up on any news that may have hit on next week's episode. But we've got some fun topics this week. Kicking things off, I'm going to be giving my impressions of Blasphemous 2, which comes to Switch next week. Then we're going to throw to a couple of interviews that approach the music of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise from different angles. Joining me for this first segment is Game Informer's own Marcus Stewart. Marcus, how are you doing? Hey, I just want to call out you missed a prime opportunity to make the joke of I'm going to be flying next week and boy are my arms going to be tired. Well, this was a good episode. I'm sorry we have to end it so quickly, but uh, no. Um, <laughs> Marcus... I am glad you could join me for this because you have kind of fallen into the role. And I think just by the fact that you are streaming and doing super replays of some of these games, but you've kind of fallen into the role as kind of like Game Informer's resident Soulsborne person. It's news to me, but that's <laughs> kind of hilarious because of, um, like, I, I guess I blame Dan Tack for that. Yeah, because you, you were streaming with Dan Tack back when he was like, you know, he Souls is... Souls Daddy, as I like to call him. To this day, the Souls Daddy, because now, you know, he works for Bandai Namco, which is the publisher of many of those games. Um, but yeah, so you have kind of slotted into that because, you know, it's like when if the president is no longer able to fulfill their duties, the vice president steps into that So I'm role. like, Vice Soul Daddy? Was yeah, that you're Vice I... Soul Daddy. Uh, but this game that I'm going to be talking about during this segment, Blasphemous 2. I did, I, did you play the first Blasphemous? No, but I've been told that that in itself is Blasphemous because I I know the people that really love that game, like, really talk it up. Like, I know it's got a pretty passionate following. Yeah, so I actually never played it, but... Uh, back in, I guess, 2021, I had Kylie Parker, who is a toy photographer and does amazing work. Her eShop gem of the week was Blasphemous. And I, I always kind of wrote it off as, oh, it's not really my my genre because I'm not a big Soulsborne fan. And but this is like a 2D Soulsborne game, essentially, is like the best way to describe it, I would say. It's like a 2D Metroidvania Soulsborne in terms of like difficulty. At least that's how it was pitched to me, right? And, but for whatever reason, I just never got around to it. I did buy it, but I'd never played it. And then Blasphemous 2 came out, or it, it's coming out. And I was starting to like watch some gameplay footage. And I was like, this game looks really fun. It looks really good. And it gave me vibes of like, what if Dead Cells wasn't roguelite? And instead, it was like a, a true Metroidvania in the sense of like, all right, you explore, you get like new traversal upgrades you get new abilities that open up new areas that maybe you couldn't get through before and you are expanding a, a huge map as you explore and as soon as i started playing it i was like oh that's exactly what this is and that was always one of my chief complaints about dead cells like, I, I adore dead cells but i always was like this would be cooler for me anyway because i'm not a big roguelite fan if it was just like a straightforward metroidvania mm -hmm. and that is almost exactly what blasphemous 2 gives me and i love that and it's I, i'm having like a very very good time with it like it's very difficult but like i would say no more difficult than something like a dead cells when you don't get like all the drops that you normally like to have you know like if you get like a bad build and you go up against a boss like chances are you're not going to do particularly well but like 
you still have a chance. And that's how I feel every time I like face a boss in Blasphemous 2. But yeah, for people who are unaware, it is a 2D Metroidvania. It draws heavy inspiration from like the uh, the Inquisition and like kind of like religious art. And it's um, it's just a, a really, really visually striking game. And it's it's very uh very challenging very tight controls and you uh you can get like you at the start of the game you get a choice of three weapons so it's like kind of like the the dual sabers that are like the fast weapons you get the kind of like the balanced sword which i think they anticipate a lot of people choosing that one but there's also kind of like a heavy like almost like a mace that's like uh kind of a longer range but like slower weapon and, you know, you can unlock the other two as you explore, but like based on which weapon you choose, that determines the traversal options you have like earlier on. So if you have like the the balanced sword, you can do like a downward strike from a great enough height and that can break through certain walls. Or if you have like the dual sabers, that allows you to attack like these mirror objects that like kind of reflect light and you can travel through those those light beams. And then if you have the the mace you can ring these bells that uh can open up new pathways or also make these uh uh platforms appear as you traverse so it's it's very cool the way like depending on if you started up this game and you chose like kind of the dual sabers your experience and how you traverse through this world will be different from mine because i chose kind of the balanced sword Hmm. So it's it's very interesting in that I, I'm, I'm almost intrigued to start a new save file just to see how different my progression would be. But uh, yeah, so there's boss battles, as you might imagine, as I've already said, and hmm. it's they, they can be <laughs> really, really tough. And well, see, uh, that's that's what I'm interested in, because I you have said on record that you are not a Souls fan uh, and or at least of the From Software games. I don't know if you played other like non-from software like souls likes um but like and i think you've said that it's because you sort of like don't have the patience for it uh, i'm curious to see like if like with difficult boss battles like this which is like a highlight of those games like does this do anything for you that the maybe from software games don't yeah i think it's uh, what this game has made me realize because like you know i've, I've played I, I like difficult games i think <laughs> but like <laughs> For something about the From Software formula just doesn't do it for me. And I don't know what it is. And I think that what this has made me realize is it's the, the gameplay style. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, the gameplay style is kind of close to something you would get with like kind of like a more mature Legend of Zelda. Right. And it's like, okay, well, that sounds like right up my alley. But for some reason, it's just it doesn't feel good for me. And it doesn't I don't have the patience for it. Whereas this... I think the gameplay feels so smooth and so good. And like, I can almost see the pathway to victory mm. that like I, I start the pattern recognition. It starts clicking in my head and I don't know, maybe like if I had nothing else going on in my life and like, I could really devote time to like the from software games, maybe that would be enough for me to kind of get into those because like, this has shown and dead cells has shown and uh to a lesser extent mr run and jump from a couple of weeks ago has shown that i i do like these games that are like they throw down like a really difficult challenge and i just basically ram my head against the wall trying to get through that challenge mm. until i finally break through 
it has shown that I enjoy that. It and you know I've I've liked difficult games in the past, but it's it, I think it's just something to do with the gameplay that I don't. It doesn't just gel with me the way that a really tight controlling 2D Metroidvania with a heavy emphasis on uh, close range combat does. And you you unlock these different abilities, like you can upgrade your swords, and that allows you to um, like have like these like kind of powered up moments. Um, and then there's also like kind of spells that you can equip. Like I have one that like throws almost like this, like disc out and has like a boomerang uh, function. So like you can throw it out and it does heavy damage. And uh, if you, t- if you distance yourself just right, you'll throw it out and you'll kind of hover over like the, like the boss character or whatever you're trying to fight for an extra amount of time if you get your distance just right. Otherwise, it'll just pass through them once on the way there and once on the way back. And there's also, like, one of my favorites is, like, this fire spell that you just cast on the ground, and it just raises up, like, flames, and it it deals extremely heavy damage. It does take more kind of of the... God, what is the... I don't. I forget what the um, the the resource is called, but it's, like, basically the mana meter. Um, Mm. And you build that up by doing melee combat damage to enemies so you have a health bar you have the mana bar and then you also have like the weapon kind of special ability uh meter that fills up as you do stuff with that as well so there's a lot of a lot of uh resource management at play in that regard and then there's also like modifiers like these uh um like statues you can collect by exploring and like completing tasks for npcs and stuff like that and you can unlock new slots to kind of equip those and they all have different um different effects like one will like increase your your likelihood of getting a critical hit and other ones will decrease like the penalty when you die because when you die you uh you resurrect every time at the latest save point Mm -hmm. but as you die more and more your mana bar is restricted. So like you can't fill it up as much like it, it, like each death gives you a little bit more. I think it's called, they call it guilt in the game and Mm. you have to go visit a special NPC and pay them to absolve you of your guilt. And that makes it so your mana bar is unrestricted again, but um, you can make it so the, the impact of that is lessened by every death. Um, And you can make it so like, you know, you're, you, you have different uh, bonuses for your, your magic spells and things like that. So yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot of really cool systems at play and the gameplay just feels so good. And the exploration feels great. I, um, I feel like I've been exploring forever and it, it's like, I'm, I look at like the percentage because there's like a percentage meter of how much of the map I've explored. And yeah. I'm like, really? Is it That's one it? location? Like it's just all in one setting or are you going to different places? I mean, it's a huge map, but it is one interconnected map. Okay, it's like a like a symphony of the night. Like it's just like the castle. Like I don't know if it's a castle or not, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like so. Yeah. There's there's a lot of a lot of different tunnels and avenues, and like I unlocked like when I unlocked that mace, I was like, oh, I know like twelve different places across the map that I can now open or like ex- have like a different area to explore because like you can hit this bell with the mace and it'll like send out like a, a shock wave of the sound. And as mm-hmm. the sound crosses, it will activate platforms that you otherwise couldn't activate. Okay. And like, yeah, there's just a lot going on in this game in terms of like the map exploration. I always felt pretty rewarded. Although like there's times where it's like, I, I go all the way to like the end of a, uh, an area and I'm like, 
oh my god, I needed like another ability to get up to the area I thought I was going to. Thankfully, there are fast travel points that you unlock as you go, because otherwise it would suck to have to traverse all the way back, especially with how and difficult some of these rooms are with some of the enemies. I was going to say, does it do the Souls thing of when you die, or when you use a checkpoint, it brings everybody that you killed back? It sure does. Ah, so you gotta be, you're like, oh man, I just saved, and now every, I gotta go back, and everyone yeah, and, I just killed is back. And the save... Um, replenishes your vials, which you can upgrade as well. Like you start off, I think, with two vials that are health replenishers. So the checkpoints replenish those, and they also fill your health up to 100%. Okay. So there are definitely like Soulsborne-style mechanics at play, but like, so it's not just like, oh, it's a tough game, so it's Soulsborne. Like, no, they do draw inspiration from it in other ways. Because, you know, yeah. I get I get annoyed when people are like, oh, it's just like Dark Souls because it's tough. But there are, um, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's a very, like, you know, there's a lot of dodge rolling, or I guess it's not really dodge rolling. It's more like a slide, like almost like how Sub-Zero slides in Mortal Kombat. Right. Right. You, are you, you managing stamina? or is, is There's no. no stamina management, thankfully, because that okay. would, I mean, I, the, the stamina kind of comes in play with, like, your mana. Um, but no, like you can slide around to your heart's content. You can parry, but like, if you mistime the parry, you're going to be like getting hit pretty hard. And the enemies, they do hit really hard. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, uh, if you get hit and like, kind of like in a corner and they like, they really just start hitting. Cause like you get bounced back when you get hit, right? Like it's like, kind of like you take damage and you get like pushed back a little bit. But if you're like in a corner and an enemy hits you with their sword and then like they followed up with another attack, like you can just get laid into. And it's like I've been like, OK, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. And then next thing you know, I get into like a bad spot and like one or two enemies are just like wailing on me. And it's like there's no moment of invincibility, you know. So it's like I'm just oh, I guess I'm dead now <laughs> because of uh, how that goes. And like sometimes I've just been like. I've literally been, I've stood up and be like, are you kidding me? What was I supposed to do there? But then it's like, mm. okay, I should just avoid that corner because I'm going to just get trapped and stabbed five times and killed. Right. <clears throat> are you, uh, like you mentioned, like the choosing your weapon stuff, is it uh, I, like uh, armor and stuff like that? You're doing all that stuff too, right? No armor. It's um, not equipping pieces. You are equipping uh, those statues, I think, kind of serve as like, your upgrades like because you can also make it so like you take less damage um but and then you can equip different spells okay and um you know you can you can equip various um like kind of modifiers but the the swords themselves or the the melee weapons themselves they all have kind of their own builds so like you, you they all have their own upgrade trees as well so it's almost like more of like you're upgrading the stance that you have instead of like the weapon itself, because sometimes like it's like, OK, well, this activate this gives you better outcomes on like your special abilities with this weapon. But other ones, it's like this increases your defense. So it, it is kind of like the entire build is upgraded through that upgrade tree. Oh, OK. And this sounds like I, I know I need to play the first one. Uh, I don't know if I'll play the first one for this one because this you know, this is new, um, mm -hmm. but it's 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 hitting the right notes. Like everything you're describing gets, gets me excited. So, like you said, I'm a Souls fan, but I'm also a huge Metroidvania guy. Like that's like one of my comfort zone or like comfort food like genres. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like I'm like, ooh, that sounds nice. And I think it's it's been a minute since I played a good Metroidvania. So I, I think I'm kind of itching for one. Maybe. Uh, I mean, it, 
this is a this is a good one. I, I really do think that. And um, you can read my full review on GameInformer.com. The game is out on August 24th, and it's coming to uh, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PC, and then, of course, Nintendo Switch. Mm. So you're thinking this is going to be one you're going to check out? Oh, yeah, for sure. This is, uh, like I said, right up my alley. I wonder if the first Blasphemous is on sale, like kind of to get people hyped for Blasphemous 2. Yeah, it's normally, on Switch 2, right? Yeah, it's normally $25. Let's see if there's any kind of sale on it. The eShop is just dreadfully slow. I wish I was playing that. Yeah, I was trying to help you out, make it more interesting, give you some music. It is not on sale currently. That would have been a smart move, I feel like, kind of get people hyped for it. From what I understand, the first one was a little bit less sprawling in the world. Mm-hmm. And the upgrades weren't as like customizable. So this one seems like they kind of took some feedback. And this one actually follows the story of not only the first game, but also the first game's uh, DLC. So I'm assuming we'll expect DLC for this one as well, if it ends up doing well, which, you know, I'm pretty high on it. So I, I, I'm hopeful that people like it. I know the first one has a pretty good audience. So I, would, I, I have no reason to believe this one's going to flop because... It's uh, it seems like it's it's pretty solid as well. So uh, I'm glad you seem like you're going to check it out. I would love to uh, talk with you more after you play it, because there's a lot of stuff that's like very abstract in the way that it's it's shown. And like it doesn't happen until like later on in the game where you're like, oh, that's what I need to do with that character. Like there was one character that was like, like, give me your fervent kisses. And I'm like, what? And I was just like, am I supposed to like, is there like a button I can press to like kiss him? <laughs> it's like That's the only line of my, my online dating profile is that. <laughs> but then like I'm exploring like 10 hours later and I find an item that's like called like fervent kisses. And I'm like, oh, so I needed to like go all the way back to that character and give it to him. And it was like, so oh, you, okay. no kissing involved. You just gave him a thing. There was no kissing involved. Uh. Uh, but yeah. I don't think this is a a game that you really uh, do a lot of kissing. There's a lot of uh, pixelated blood and gore, though. I, I bet you'll be kissing your lives goodbye because you're going to die a bunch. You really will. Um, but yeah, I, 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 by the way, the uh, the parrying system, because I haven't really talked about that too much, is really satisfying. And you can upgrade that as well, where it's like, all right, once you if you time your parry perfectly, you can deliver like a multi-hit parry. So like normally, like if you time it perfectly, you deliver like a heavier uh, counter but i upgraded it so like if i parried it perfectly it would deliver like kind of a a, a singular hit but it would like kind of do like a, a three hit damage like it would almost be like the blade hits three times when it lands and it, that was like one of my favorite upgrades and it's like i started thinking more about like how to time my parry perfectly and like i actually it's funny because i was playing it and then i went over and I played some street fighter six and you know like they have that parry system as well the drive parry and I noticed that my drive parries were a lot better because I was getting my timing down. Like I was so focused on getting my timing down in Blasphemous 2. I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like I'm actually getting better at other games that have parry systems involved. So uh, yeah, thank you Blasphemous 2 for me uh, taking the fight to my friend when I was playing Street Fighter 6 with him online the other night. Hey, but, there you go. Uh, Marcus, we're going to take a break. But before we do, can you tell people where to find you on social media? 
Sure. You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, uh, as well as Blue Sky at Marcus Stewart 7 All right, Marcus, thank you for joining me for this segment all about Blasphemous. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, I will be joined by the composer of Sonic Superstars, Sonic Mania, and TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, T. Lopes. We will be right back. Sonic Superstars is one of my most anticipated games on the horizon for this fall, and if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know a couple of things. One, you know that I recently wrote a cover story about Sonic Superstars, which you can read in the current issue of Game Informer, and two, I absolutely love the music of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. That is why I am thrilled to welcome back to the All Things Nintendo podcast the composer of Sonic Superstars and also Sonic Mania, T. Lopes. T, how are you doing? Hello, how are you? Very, very good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm so happy you are able to join me once again. Last time you were on, we were talking primarily about TMNT Shredder's Revenge, which you also composed, uh, another amazing soundtrack. But, you know, I I think like many people, I discovered your work through Sonic Mania and you you just did an amazing job recreating a lot of those classic tracks and also putting like kind of your own stamp on it, but then also like creating a whole bunch of new tracks. So... Mm-hmm. When I learned that you were going to be involved with Sonic Superstars, I was I was stoked. You know, like I, I wrote a story about why Sonic Mania 2 didn't necessarily come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Got uh, a quote from Christian Whitehead about it. And it seems like it was it was something that was maybe kicked around for a while and then fell through. And I'm yeah. bummed that Christian Whitehead isn't involved with uh, with Superstars. But I am extremely excited that you are involved. So can you kind of run me through how you got involved with this project? Well, thank you very much. First and foremost, I'm glad you're excited about the project. I'm very excited myself. Um, it looks amazing and hopefully it will sound great to people as well. So as you know, I've been working on Sonic projects ever since Sonic Mania came out, right? I did the animation thing, uh, Sonic Mania Adventures, and then I worked mm-hmm. with June on Team Sonic Racing, which was an incredible experience for me. Um, I also did the medley for the Sonic 30th anniversary concert. That was really cool. It was my first time doing uh, orchestral stuff. But yeah, I've been doing all this uh, Sonic stuff throughout the years. And uh, June once again invited me to join his team of composers. And I was just stoked to be part of another Sonic project. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked that you're involved with it as well. And <laughs> I guess, how does the process of composing for a Sonic game such as Superstars. I know you had the the Team Sonic racing experience, but the music and the graphics are far more modern facing and you know, it's uh, it, you compare it to something like Sonic Mania or TMNT Shredder's Revenge, right. they're deliberately retro facing. It's kind of like the chiptune style of music. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So how does creating a song or a track for a more modern style game compare to creating one for that's like a deliberately retro facing title? Right. So as you said, you know, TMNT or Sonic Mania have this more lo-fi 16 or 32-bit aesthetic, if you want to call it that. So uh, I was trying to match that with the sound, whereas Super Sonics is still Super uh, Sonic Superstars is still a classic Sonic game, but in a modern setting, right? It, it was made nowadays. It has 3D graphics as a high-definition game. So I was trying to, uh, for my part, create music that uses more modern instrumentation and uh, com- compositional techniques and a more organic choice of instruments, um, incorporating like modern genres mixed with classic 
cheery, jazzy, sonic influences. Yeah, and like that that's always something that's kind of been like a mystery to a lot of people is what is the process of composing a track for a stage yeah. like? Like, do you work closely with the designers? They kind of tell you what they're going for. Do you simply have like visual elements to go off of? Like what how do you how do you learn about a stage and then compose a track that is fitting for that stage? <laughs> Well, that process varies a lot. It depends on the project, right? Because there will be different resources available to me at different times. Um, but usually I like to look at the colors of the stage. I like to uh, really think about the theme and maybe go do some research, uh, some research based on that theme, based on songs that uh, have been associated with that theme in the past and other uh, forms of media. So I just draw inspiration from all those uh, things and try to incorporate it or, or to make it feel uh, fit the stage and the colors and the aesthetic as, as uh, closely or as adequately as possible. And speaking of inspiration and taking cues from different things, like you worked obviously on a lot of Sonic stuff and you're a big fan of like the Sonic music throughout the years, but where did you look mm -hmm. for inspiration for the music in Sonic Superstars in particular? In Sonic Superstars, I would say it's a mix of um, classic Sonic music, right? With the... Uh, elements that are so familiar to to us, to the fans and stuff, and mixing that, uh, bringing that into the present, right? Um, so taking that whole classic vibe and mixing it with elements that are m more modern. So I drew inspiration from pop music, from hip hop, uh, from uh, um, from uh, EDM. So all of these genres that are really popular nowadays. I, I'm sorry, somebody was calling me. Oh, man. Everybody decides to call me <laughs> at the wrong time. <laughs> no worries. Uh, yeah, but anyway, um, from pop music to to you know to what's on the radio, what's on movies nowadays, uh, it's it's a mix of all of that. I try to bring all those elements together in a way that makes sense and and still fits the game setting. Yeah, and that's got to be such a challenge, like bouncing between the styles, between Sonic Mania, where it's like, you know, kind of a strict adherence to what had come before in terms of the sound and Sonic Superstars, which was kind of, you know, it's blazing a trail in terms of the, uh, the, the classic series. When do you kind of draw the line of like a composition that you come up with and you're like, oh, this would be better for like a more classic style uh, game or this is, would be better for a more modern style game. Is there like a, a distinction in your head? Uh, I think I look at past games a lot for that. So, you know, uh, I guess 3D Sonic games, for example, always bring to mind uh, Heavy Metal and, you know, Crush 40 and that kind of stuff. Um, whereas classic Sonic music always has that more chiptune vibe and um, cheery, jazzy elements, funky elements. Uh, it, it's very hard to put your finger uh, on it, but um, don't know that I can make a clear distinction for you here because Sonic music could be so many things. But what comes to mind immediately is, is uh, I guess, is that distinction between more synthetic instruments uh, and uh, uh, more organic, uh, more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, more <laughs> analog, <laughs> and well, not not so much analog. Well, analog is, I guess, could be a good word, or or more um, 
grungy. That's the word I was mm. looking for. Yeah. More edgy, if sure. you want to put it that way. Okay. And how has the collaboration looked like with uh, June Senaway, who's also working with you on this soundtrack? Uh, it was really cool. I mean, I got to arrange uh, many songs. I got to compose some stuff as well, but I arranged many songs that June composed. And, you know, that's it's always a really cool um, challenge and it's always a privilege because I've been a fan of his work f- for so long, right? Since Sonic Adventure, mm-hmm. even though he's been on the Sonic franchise for bef- from before that, but that's when I started listening to his stuff and really paying attention to his music. So I was fortunate enough to arrange some of his compositions and uh, it's really cool to, to uh, take other people's visions and give it your own twist, your own approach. And it's also a cool way of Paying homage to him in this case, right? Since I've been a fan for so long. And how are like the lines of communication with him in in these instances where like you know he kind of sends you compositions, you arrange them, or yeah. it's it kind of a back and forth with that. There's a little bit of a back and forth, you know. Unfortunately, both me and him don't necessarily have as much time as we'd like, uh, but. Um, you know, he sends me ideas, I'll send him some ideas back and we'll just ping pong um, some, you know, some some stuff until we reach something that we both find is uh, really cool. And I think we, we, yeah, I think we succeeded at that uh, for this project. Really proud of what we achieved together. And I imagine that despite his experience with the Sonic franchise, like you said, it stretches back to like Sonic 3 years. Right. It's... A little different for him as well, because, you know, his most prominent work, as you alluded to, is as the guitarist of Crush 40, which definitely brings a different vibe than what we hear on the classic side of the series. Right. And I mean, I just it's so wild to me that like these artists can come through, uh, I mean, yourself included, with these drastically different sounds. But it's still very much distinctly that artist. And I think we see that with your work, like the, the stuff that I've heard in Sonic Superstars. I hear it and I'm like, okay, yeah, that that definitely sounds like a T Lopes joint. <laughs> That's funny. and then I mean, same thing with uh, uh, June June Senaway. It it's like he his work always kind of sound has that distinct sound and it, that's a really fascinating uh it component is. of it it is it is and it's funny because I think that people's uh, individual style stems not only from their qualities as an artist but also from their shortcomings and you know the ways that you need to find around your you know around your shortcomings when you don't have uh, 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 when you don't know theory musical theory for example you had to find other ways to <laughs> try to translate what you're envisioning inside of your head into music and um God. Yeah, <laughs> I was so awful at musical theory back when I was like playing guitar more seriously. I always tried to like learn theory and I was like, this is just like impossible. It's yeah. like, again, it's reading a foreign language, essentially. I mean, exactly. I, I think learning an instrument is about as difficult as learning a, a language in that right. way. I mean, it basically is a different language. And theory is like just taking it to a whole nother level. It's it's very, very difficult. So I don't blame anybody for not yeah. diving too much into theory. Yeah, that is true. And it, it's something I was never too good at and, and never in, too interested in learning, uh, curious as it sounds, right? But uh, I would say that definitely the things I don't know help uh, define my style as much as uh, the things that I do know. <laughs> so yeah. I think it all goes into your 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 personal 
your your musical identity, if you want to call it that. And you know, I, I hear a lot of artists who you know maybe put out albums and stuff like that. They say like every album kind of teaches something, teaches themselves something about them, and like they carry that forward into their future projects. Mm-hmm. Is is there is that same could be said about like when you work on a game? Like, do you learn something about yourself and you carry that forward into future projects? Like. When you worked on Sonic Mania, what did you learn about yourself? And TMNT, when you worked on that, did you learn something about yourself that oh, you're now absolutely. carrying into these games? Every single time, yeah. Every time you work on a soundtrack, I feel every time I work on a soundtrack, I feel like I learned something new or like I've uh, explored some new technique that was necessary for this particular soundtrack that I had never uh, used before because there was no need before. So now I've added that tool to my arsenal, and. Um, all of this, all of these bits and pieces that I pick up from every project, I just collect them, and then I. It's it's like I said, it's like tools that you can reuse in the future. Uh, things that you learn sound good through experimentation, or a project drives you to um, go into research about a particular style of music that you weren't necessarily familiar with before. So there's always, always, always a learning process. Uh, on the music side of things and also on the production side of things because different teams work differently and you you pick up a, no- a lot of knowledge from that side of things as well. Mm. How did you learn about Sonic Superstars? I imagine Sonic Mania you may have heard by um, like maybe Christian reached out to you and, and asked if you wanted to be involved or I guess, how, yeah, how did you get involved with Sonic Mania? How did you hear about that? And then how did that Sonic experience Mania? differ. Or, well, or Mania first, then Superstars. Oh. <laughs> Mania was a long time ago. I don't know if I remember the story correctly, but I was working with a team with a with a game developer called Pagoda West at the mm-hmm. time, and they went on to join Christian Whitehead and uh, Headcanon and a few other people to work on Sonic Mania. And since I was working with them at the time, and I had all of these credits, uh, remixing Sonic music and all that stuff, they just... Uh, I guess that that they they took that and invited me to the project and just brought me along with them. So that's how that came about. Um, as for Sonic Super, Superstars, things were just like more. Uh, they're in you place know, already. <laughs> yeah, they're, a little they're bit different. I just received an email from June asking me if I wanted to join this upcoming Sonic project, and I was super excited about it. Said yes almost immediately, and here we and- are. And that email from June was the the first time you heard about the project. It wasn't like Sega had said it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing this. form, yes. Yeah. Okay. And you, you'd mentioned that you were working or you did work on the 30th anniversary symphony. What was that like? That was like nothing else I had ever done in my life, right? Because usually I compose inside of the box, meaning I, I, I take care of most of the instruments the instrumentation and, and the 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 arrangement and the melodies and all of that stuff and in this case you're you're making an arrangement for actual living people to sit down and perform so that's something <laughs> that's huge in comparison to what i'm used to doing um it was my first time writing for an orchestra of course i had the help of, of very good friends and professionals but as an experience, it was it was just fascinating, and it just opened um, opened the door for me that uh, that I've been curious for a long time to see what was inside of it, and and now I just want to do more and more of that. 
Wow. I mean, that, that's got to be an incredible opportunity. And are, does, has this kind of made it so you, you mentioned that like you want to kind of do more of that now? Are there other kind of avenues you'd like to explore going forward, um, both with doing symphony work, but also like maybe branching out into other genres? Oh, yeah. Not just that, but I'd love to get into the movie industry and, and to, you know, write scores for, for movies and stuff like that. I think it's a very good uh, time for that since there are so many uh, uh, movie adaptations of video game titles these days, right? So who knows if there's an avenue there for me. That would be interesting for sure. But I know, or I think I know, at least at this point of my life, that I would love to continue working with video games for as long as possible. But I am interested in stuff like animation, movies, and and other sorts of media. Yep, who knows? Maybe one day uh, there might be another Sonic movie. (laughs) You don't know, maybe somebody's listening to this and and, uh, maybe I'm manifesting something here without, without realizing it. Maybe they need somebody who knows the Sonic music inside and out, and they hey. might have a guy. <laughs> or other stuff doesn't have to be Sonic, but I'm I'm here, willing and ready. Everything could be a stepping stone, right? Everything. Let's go. <laughs> Love opportunities. Right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to throw to an interview I did a few weeks ago with Katie Krizanowski, who uh, is the producer of the Sonic Symphony concerts. They are currently plotting a world tour. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about the process of setting that up and uh, getting this show on the road. T's going to stick around, and we're going to do a special definitive ranking when we come back from that interview. We will be right back. I am joined now by Katie Krizanowski, who runs social media for Sonic the Hedgehog, as well as a litany of other responsibilities and roles. Uh, you are the director of the Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, which was the, or you are the creator, we can go with that. The creator of the Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog, which came out on April 1st of this year on Steam. Very, very positive reviews there. But we are here to talk about another thing that you have done, which, again, not very connected to social media, despite your role, but it is the Sonic Symphony performances. So you, this started as a, 2021 30th anniversary live stream which i think we were all still kind of taking it careful with the pandemic and everything so it had to be a live stream instead of a live show but uh first of all how are you doing today i am doing fantastic brian thank you it's so good to have you on here you know we've we've known each other for several years now i'm just learning how to pronounce your last name but it's fine our friendship extends beyond that it's okay i just learned it myself (laughs) so kind of jumping in like what was the initial idea behind having a symphony performance of sonic music for the 30th anniversary yeah absolutely so a lot of it was inspired by me going to other video game symphonies of other brands before i worked at sega I love that. I love tying music and games and like having the gameplay behind there and just how it brings communities together and they're all just celebrating that. I've gone to ones where there's like lyrics in the songs and everyone is singing together. It's just a fun celebration. And Sonic objectively has some of the best music in the video game industry. So it felt like a no brainer to kind of tie those together. 
And you look at like some of those other brands that you mentioned, like, you know, Final Fantasy is probably the, the most successful example of all of these. But mm -hmm. a lot of that music feels like it's orchestral already, right? Like you, you listen to some of Nobuo Uematsu's compositions or even some of the more recent composers. And it's like, oh, they're actually using like an orchestra already. So it translates very easily. Sonic, especially in those early days, it it's kind of almost difficult to imagine like a, a, a symphonic version of those songs, but somehow it still translated so well. So how did, like, was there any concern in the back of your mind that like, maybe this won't sound as good as I think it will in my head? Not really. I mean, I did not do any of the arrangements myself, but I know we have some of the most talented musicians and like, I could hear the vision in my head, even when they would be talking about it, where I'm like, yes, I can see how this would work. Even with some of like the Sonic Adventure tracks where they're more like rock songs. I could see how a symphony could play into this. And again, it would just be fun and different and a new way to experience those music, those songs rather. And what was the kind of the logistics behind getting this all together? Because I can't imagine this was something that was like super easy to throw together for a giant live stream like that. It was very difficult because we actually pitched it in 2019 before everything mm. kind of happened in the world. So it originally was going to be a world tour. That was our goal for it. But then once 2020 came around, everything was kind of up in the air. We didn't know like how long things were going to be shut down. We didn't know would concerts ever come back, but we still want to do this idea. And the 30th anniversary is coming up. So how can we kind of pivot and make this something that everyone can enjoy and do it in a safe way? Mm. And I guess, like, how did you go about pitching this to to the, the, the greater team at Sega? It wasn't like, in a, like a formal pitch. I kind of just talked to different teams. I would, like, bring up the idea of, oh, it'd be so cool if we did a symphony and just talking to various people. And eventually someone was like, oh, I used to actually help on XYZ symphonies for video games. And I was like, I'm going to talk to you more. Tell me how that went. And it all just kind of grew from there, where someone had the skill set, and then we just kind of brought more people in and figured, like, yeah, this could be something really cool. This is something we haven't done before. And when you kind of look at the, the streaming event as a whole, you know, you have this, the symphony part of it, but mm -hmm. then there were also other musicians who got involved. We got a, an amazing cover of the, um, the Sonic Colors song. And then we also got Crush 40 coming out and doing a kind of remote performance because Johnny and uh, June Senaway were not in the same room. So Correct. it was kind of like interesting how that worked. I'm assuming that was not a live recording. That was not a live recording. <laughs> or a live stream of it. Right. Um, but it all came together so well. And I think that also like showed us that like reminded us how good like a lot of the more modern music is so what was kind of like was there was there any concern or was there any like thought process put into like is this going to be like too big of a contrast going from like this like symphony orchestra everybody's in suits and ties and playing like stringed instruments to suddenly like crush 40 just rocking your face off I think we were just more excited because we're like we're pitching this as the sonic symphony concert so they're already expecting symphony music but then we're also going to add in like this rock music, which is kind of Sonic's core at this point, especially over the past 20-ish years. So we were excited that we were going to have both available. And I think that kind of goes back to like a, a franchise tenant at this point, I think, as a whole, which is Sonic is really trying to cater to two very different but also unified audiences, where it's like you have the classic people, the people who 
maybe grew up on Sonic Adventure or uh, Sonic from like the Genesis games. And then you have the modern people who maybe got into a Sonic Adventure one or two and then like, you know, very different gameplay styles. So it, it, it does make sense that that would work. Right. I mean, the biggest difficulty was just picking songs because there is so much good music across all 30 years and we wanted to represent as much as we could. But we knew we only had so much time. We can't just kind of keep the symphony for too long. So you had to whittle it down and just pick, I wouldn't say the best, but some of like fan favorites across the years. And how involved were you? I know you said you didn't do any of the compositions, mm -hmm. but how involved were you with picking the set list? I was very involved with that. That was a team effort, but I kind of pitched like, I really want these to be included. I think these games need to be highlighted. And the teams all just worked together and said like, oh, these are my favorites, or I think these would work best together in a medley. So I was involved and said like, yeah, I agree, I agree, or maybe change this, but definitely a big team effort. Did you get any like fans being like, why didn't you include this song? Like, see, you, I'm, you know, your primary job with Sonic Team is running social media. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you saw people like, oh, I wanted this song. Yeah, I mean, overall, the reception was very positive. First and foremost, everyone was so excited for the show. Of course, there's so much Sonic music that you can't include everything, so some fans, sure, they would say like, oh, this was my favorite, I wish it was in there, or I know Sonic CD was a big one that we weren't able to include at the time, but maybe for the world tour coming up, who knows? Yeah, and that's, that's a good segue, because I did want to talk to you, that's the, one of the main reasons we're talking here, is they're taking this on the road now that like, you know, concerts are a thing again, and people are able to gather safely, it we're getting a world tour and originally it was just announced with a couple of dates mm -hmm. but that has since expanded to a much broader schedule so what is the logistical challenge of bringing this on the road i mean now it's the challenge that everyone is facing it's just how do we go back to quote unquote normal and bringing things to the road and how do we bring that symphony and the rock band aspect together because for the 30th, it was a bit easier. We could just record remotely. Like you mentioned, June and Johnny weren't together, and we could still all put it together in one show. Now how do we kind of bring all of those elements together? Can we have extra guests at different shows? Will their schedules work out? Will the timing work out for all of our products coming out? And are you going to be able to like go on the road with all these shows? Not all of them, definitely. I wish I could. I would love to be at every show. I'm going to see how many I can make within my schedule, but probably not all of them. That makes sense. I mean, like I said, you have a whole nother job on top of this. Yeah. So this has kind of like been a huge passion project of yours. And uh, I guess what about like music? Do, do you really like what, what I guess what component of, of the Sonic franchise's music really drew you to coming up with this idea? That's a good question. It's just music that I've loved my entire life. I remember I was a huge Sonic Adventure 2 fan and I would replay the final boss over and over to listen to Live and Learn. And just growing up, video game music was always something that I enjoyed listening to, especially instrumental stuff. If I needed to concentrate on like work or something, put on instrumental music and it's great. So the music was just very important to me growing up and I wanted to share that with others. Oh my God. And speaking of Sonic Adventure 2, the Escape from the City cover that was done was unbelievable. That was spot on perfection. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people even say like maybe it was better than the original, which is <laughs> high praise that because is that's one of praise. the best songs in the past 23 years. Mm -hmm. 
there have been a lot of amazing renditions of that song. So adding another one to their roster, I'm, I'm proud the team was able to do that. So I guess like, how can people find out more about the Sonic Symphony? Because like, you know, it's, it's coming to a, a, a theater near you potentially. I mean, yeah. there's no Minneapolis date, so I'm very salty about that. But Chicago's not that far, so it's maybe I'll go to that one. But like, how do people find out more about this tour? Yeah, you can go to sonicsymphonytour.com where there's more information about the shows and you can purchase tickets directly from there. And we're adding more shows as we go, as we see more people kind of filling up all the seats already. So maybe Minneapolis will get its time. <laughs> I sure hope so. And uh, is there going to be any kind of like merch that people can look forward to getting at this at these shows? Is there going to be like any kind of special experiences, photo ops, anything like that? There will be merch. We haven't announced anything yet, but we are looking to get some merch there. Um, there may be some photo ops. There may be special guests there also unannounced. But yeah, we're, we're trying to make it fun for everyone, even beyond just the performance. Well, now you're baiting me into this question, which <laughs> is, you know, the, I, I mentioned it before that the, the streaming version had kind of these disparate parts that all kind of gelled together in this one experience. Are we going to get more than just the symphony in this show? We might, we might. We're not talking about special guests, but we might have some band for that. All right, well, some band for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a little enticing there. Right. And uh, I've seen some band in the past, and they that some band puts on a good show if we're yeah. talking about the same some band. I mean, I would not expect Crush 40 at every show. It's the same issue with me. I can't be at every show. We all have busy schedules, but we do <laughs> want to bring the rock element to the show. All right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk Sonic Symphony. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Oh boy, you can find me on Twitter at at Sonic underscore Hedgehog or personally at Katie, C-H-R-Z, Katie Chris. All right, we are going to take a break and when we get back, we'll be doing eShop Gem of the Week and Definitive Ranking. We will be right back. We are back and it is time for Definitive Ranking, a recurring segment where we take a Nintendo topic and give our personal top five lists since this episode is so focused on the music of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, T, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. I want to know your top five Sonic the Hedgehog music tracks. So basically start at five, count it down to one, give me a sentence or two about each. Mm. Putting me on the spot here huh? <laughs> for, all, <laughs> for all the Sonic fans. Okay, so I'm going to have to start number five. I would have to go with uh, Studiopolis Act 1. And uh, not because I made it, but more because of what it represents uh, to me, for me, for my career, for my life. It's obviously the song that put my name on the map as a sonic uh, composer um, and, you know, introduced me to in my music to many of the series fans. It opened a lot of opportunities, so obviously it deserves a spot on the list for that sole reason. It's a great track. I, that's uh, one of the standout tracks from Mania. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it's it's the one that started it all. So number five, uh, number four, number four, number four, Bridge Zone from Sonic One, Sonic the Hedgehog from Master System, Game wow. Gear. Yeah, we're going deep with this one. I like oh, it. Yes, yes, yes. It's very nostalgic to me that one. It was the first Sonic game I owned. Not the first one I played, but it was the first one I called mine. Uh, it's a wonderful track by Yuzo Koshiro. Um, it's very peaceful, but then it has this hopeful, 
subpar to it that always raises my 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 hairs you know it gives me goosebumps so i i love this song for number three number three live and learn from sonic adventure 2 classic it's it's a classic song it's a badass rock song it's you know it, it pops right like it it smacks you in the face uh, when the title screen comes up so that's great it was one of the songs that raised my interest in 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 heavy metal and rock and and stuff uh the vocals are amazing the lyrics the message is great very uplifting so i i love it for all those reasons you know uh that song not only is it takashi azuka's favorite crush 40 song it's also, uh, I would say Crush 40 is pretty responsible for me getting more into like rock and heavy metal mm-hmm. as well. So I'm right there with you. Like I, you. after that, I started exploring like, oh, I really like uh, Johnny Gioli. And yeah, I was like the, the singer of, of Crush 40. And yep. I was like, I'm going to look more into this guy. See, this can't be all he's done. And sure no, enough, no, he's no, done no. like seven different bands. And <laughs> oh, fronted. yes. Johnny's a very good buddy of mine. And he's. One of the coolest guys I know, and one of the most talented too, because that voice is just incredible. Have oh, you ever heard it's his cover of Hallelujah? No, I haven't. I, I've heard a lot no. of his music. You know, I, I got super into Hardline for a while there. Oh, um, Axel Rudy Pell, since he's taken over kind of the the vocals on that. Exactly. It's That's great. yeah. I've not yeah, heard his he Hallelujah. That cover with Axel, and it's just incredible, man. Yeah, look it up when you have oh, a chance. I absolutely will as soon as we're done recording this. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and get ready. So it's, I, it's it's pretty strong. I think that pushed you to number two now, huh? Number two, number two. Angel Island Zone Act 1 from Sonic 3. This song was stuck in my head for so many years, man. It's still one of my favorite songs, Sonic songs. I, I heard it. I remember playing that game once at a friend's house for very briefly, right? And it's the first stage. So I played it for like five or 10 minutes and it was stuck in my head for years, right? <laughs> it was very, very unique at the time to me. I love the rhythm. I love the joy that it brings you when you're listening to it, the harmonies. It just makes me think of this uh, illuminated, magical forest, tropical kind of thing. It's just really, really cool. And uh, A lot of people I, I point towards, towards Green Hill as like the quintessential opening track. And maybe you're about to do that with your with your number one pick, but I I, I always think of Angel Island. It is such really? a great track. Hmm. It I mean, and I I wonder like when you were doing Sonic Mania, were you kind of bummed that Angel Island wasn't in the original game? Like I know it it, it kind of got an, a a little bit of a cameo in mm-hmm. uh, Mania Plus, but were you as somebody who's such a fan of that track, were you kind of bummed you didn't get to give your take on it right out of the bat anyway? Not bummed. I guess I would have liked. That for it to be there, but not exactly bummed. I mean, there's so many other great team themes that I got to remix, and you know, and and you know, the new themes that I got to compose and everything. So there was really nothing to get bummed about. But sure. yeah, I, I would have, I would have liked that to to be there for sure. For me, for the fans, for everybody, it's a great track, and I think it's a really cool stage too. Mm-hmm. All right, so that leads us to number one. What is it? Number one, take a wild guess. <laughs> I'm going to say Green Hill. <laughs> wow. Man, play the lottery today. I don't know how you got this one right. That's amazing. Yeah, man, Green Green Hill Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog 1. I mean, it's it's obvious. It's it's a classic. It's super catchy. It's super, you know, it's expertly written. It brings back so 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 many memories. It's the first 
sonic song I ever heard. I mean, what other song could I could I give number one to but Green Hill Zone? <laughs> I, I know it's been around for a while. I know it's it's in a lot of games, and uh, you know people have different opinions about it. In my heart, this will always be Green Hill Zone will always be number one for for obvious reasons, and I think in a lot of people's hearts. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. One of the most classic video game tracks of all time. You of know, all time, yeah. It's maybe just the tier below, like the Super Mario Brothers overworld theme. Or Probably, like, yeah. I think if like, you whistle this song to anybody on the street, they'll a very good percentage of them will able will be able to recognize it. Yeah, I mean, I was. It's made appearances in the uh, the movies, and I mean that, that's one thing I will say about the movies is. I really love the Sonic movies. I wish they would use more music, like at least taking cues from the games. I know we get little flourishes here and there, but I just mm -hmm. love those. Uh, I love the music in the game so much, and it's so well established that like yeah, that would I, I would love to hear more of that. I um, think we all would. Yeah, there's just so many pearls from the classic games, and even for the more uh, from the more recent games. That could have, you know, that could be used in, in the movies. And I hope that, uh, I hope that happens. Uh, I would movies. lose my mind given the direction that they're going with, with Sonic, uh, the, the third movie anyway. Right. If uh, we got some live and learn in there. Oh, that would be so awesome, wouldn't it? I would lose my mind. <laughs> I, I, would, I think everybody would. Every Sonic fan, every music fan really should lose their minds because that's, Cause that that's an amazing incredible. classic. Absolutely. Well, I anticipated that some of those songs were going to appear on your list. So in my top five list, I have zero overlap. Now, mm, if nice. I was doing kind of like a natural top five, I'm sure Green Hill would be on there. I'm sure Live and Learn would be on there. But I went a couple of uh, kind of more abstract, but still my they, they deserve their spot on this top five. And the one that almost made it on there was the original Ice Cap Zone. I love that song so much. I know it's it's kind of like in limbo right now, but I, I did want to give a shout out to that because I love that, that original ice cap track. Mm -hmm. um, number five, I'm going to go with the Sonic adventure two track, but not live and learn. I'm going with escape from the city. Oh, that's a great song as well. It's so catchy. Like I remember yeah. like thinking like, cause coming off of um, Sonic adventure one, every character had their own vocal track and there was Open Your Heart, obviously, which was just like kind of like the main title theme. Mm -hmm. Going into Sonic Adventure 2, I heard Live and Learn right off the bat, and I'm like, cool. And then the first stage of Sonic Adventure 2 also has its own tra vocal track, and I was just blown away by mm -hmm. how good both songs were, and it just stuck with me throughout the years. And every once in a while, right. I will actually just like drive around listening to Escape from the City because it's such a good song. Like yeah, it's, Music never dies. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's just a, a perfect opening, opening level track and a perfect song to just listen to outside of the um, the actual mm. uh, the actual game itself. Yeah, it's the kind of music I don't listen to in the car, though, because it makes me want to speed. And I, I, I <laughs> I mean, that, that could be said about any Sonic song, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, how appropriate, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, number four for me is going to be Open Your Heart. And I think it's for a lot of the reasons that you pointed out for Live and Learn. And Open Your Heart just, it, it was kind of like the spark for getting me more into rock and heavy metal. And then Live and Learn was kind of like the final nail in the coffin. Like, okay, this is my genre. Right. Um, but yeah, open mm. open your heart was. I mean, it really was an opening of my heart to that entire genre. To that genre, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, same. Number, th- same here. number three, I'm going to go with Sky Sanctuary. Sky Sanctuary. Oh, yeah, that's a classic, too. Yeah, from Sonic and uh, Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. And it it's catchy. It does what um, God, what's the, the, the stage in or the zone in Sonic Two Sky Fortress, mm-hmm. where it, it kind of does what that was hoping to accomplish. But it it I feel like it takes it to whole new levels. It's one of my favorite tracks of all time of any game. They're both pretty epic if you think about it. Yeah. Very dun, 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 very grandiose, both of them. More Absolutely. so uh Sky Fortress, I would say, than than uh um what's the other one? Sky uh, Sky, uh, Sky Sanctuary. Sky Sanctuary, thank you. Yeah. But they're both uh, pretty majestic in tone, and 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 uh, I love them. I love them both. Yeah, I, I think Sky Sanctuary has a little bit more of that majestic feel to it, and and like almost like it doesn't it's feel a more like complex theme. It's a little bit more complex in terms of of composition and stuff. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I think that the the melody just sticks with me a little bit more in Sky Sanctuary than it does in uh, uh, Sky Fortress. Mm, yeah, yeah. I I would say I'm of the same opinion. Um, that takes us to number two. It's another one that actually, I, it leads directly into Sky Sanctuary. It is Lava Reef Act 2. Lava where it Reef. Kind of, but it, it also leads directly into Hidden Palace in uh, Sonic and Knuckles, where you, you kind of face off against Knuckles and then yes. get the, the teleporter up into Sky Sanctuary. Oh my gosh. That It's just, it, you know, the after the kind of hard-hitting Act 1 theme, and you're you know you're dodging lava. You're fighting Eggman in with, with like this little like lava yeah. conveyor belt thing, or, or yeah. um, and it's like everything kind of dries out, and then suddenly like you're running around this like kind of the the lava has dried up, and it's it's right. it's now uh, this magma rock that you're able to walk on, and everything's just so it feels so serene after the 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 heavier themes of right. act one and i just remember that transition was just so memorable for yeah, me that game was very well put together for its time wasn't it i and love sonic the, 3. Yeah. sonic 3 and knuckles is my favorite sonic game and i don't know if it will ever be topped just because mm-hmm. it's everything was so well made everything was it so was. well put together so next and level for for its era the music is just maybe my favorite soundtrack of all time everything yeah everything is just really really good about it you know what's funny you, you were talking about um um uh, lava reef right and it's mm-hmm. one song it's it's a theme both act both acts one and two it's a theme that i didn't really care too much about or pay too much attention to until i worked on my versions on sonic mania Mm-hmm. That's when I really got into it, and it became one of my favorite themes from the whole game. Whereas before, I, I didn't even pay that much attention to it. Yeah, it's... I guess remaking it made me really understand the ins and ins and outs of the song, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, because I don't know. To me, I'm always more moved by by faster music, by more upbeat stuff. I guess it always uh, gets me more than slower stuff. Right, but after giving this theme the opportunity that it deserves, it, it grew in my heart just a lot more, and now it's one of my faves. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so beautiful as well. Like it it has kind of like that 
it's it's catchy but it's also beautiful and kind of haunting Mm -hmm. but still has that upbeat forward propulsion sound that sonic is so famous for it is curiously curious that i'm telling you this because for sonic mania we actually made it slower really a lot slower yeah if you go and compare sonic versions uh sonic mania's version of act two more specifically in this case and you compare it to sega genesis version you'll see that it's a lot slower and more uh, uh, atmospheric. I'll have to go back and pay attention to that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, by the yeah. way, I, I realized that Sky Fortress is actually a Sonic 4 stage. Wing Fortress is Wing the Sonic Fortress. 2 stage I was talking uh, about. <laughs> I was you like, wait, going, You had me go right. into, yeah. It's so many. <laughs> it's it's a lot of Sonic games yeah. right now, right? And then there's... We, a, we grew up with all of them, so <laughs> how many stages are inside of these heads? There's now? also uh, Sky Temple, which is coming uh, to Sky Sonic Temple. Superstars. Exactly, yeah. So a lot of uh, a lot of skies and wings and fortresses and temples. And temples. And... <laughs> <laughs> so you said, what else could be number one on this list? And I have a, an answer that is not Green Hill Zone. And I bet you could guess what it is. Since I guessed your number one, you can guess what my number one is. If I say it's like one of the ah, quintessential Sonic songs. That's a lot tougher now, isn't it? <laughs> but I will say, I will say Emerald Hill Zone. No, I, I do no. love Emerald Hill. That's Sonic 2 is actually where I got my start in uh, right. the franchise. Best-selling Sonic game of the 16-bit era. Uh, era yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember I got, I got a Genesis, and it had Sonic 2 and Echo the Dolphin included. Um, wow. Both great games. And uh, mm. then I, I played that, and I was like, well, I'm going to check out Sonic 3. And I was like, oh, this is even better. And then I went back and played Sonic 1, and I was like, they definitely learned some stuff from this game, but it's right. still very good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got my my full Sonic diet on the Genesis back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, do you want another guess, or do you want me just to spill it? Oh, man, spill the beans. Chemical Plant. Chemical Plant. Well, how didn't I think of that one? <laughs> I mean, come on. That's, what do you yeah. think of like, the most iconic Sonic music? Green Hill's probably number one with a bullet. But number two is almost certainly Chemical Plant, right? And you also got a chance, you got, you got to take your crack at this song as well, both Act okay. 1 and Act 2 variants. So I will say that Chemical Plant is probably, we'll probably take that spot amongst fans, whereas Green Hill Zone is probably more recognizable even with people that haven't played any Sonic games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so just in that sense. But how iconic is Chemical Plant? Just I, it blows my mind that I didn't think of it when you ask when you ask me to guess. <laughs> it's super iconic, and like you said, yeah, I didn't get a chance to 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 have a crack at it for for Act Two, especially in which I had a little more carte blanche, I guess, if you want to put it that way, to really get creative with it. Oh, it was a blast, man! It's such a great song to begin with, and and just taking those elements and. and and uh, kind of mixing them, uh, uh, j- juggling them, and and uh, shuffling them around, and coming up with something new was uh, a little bit daunting at the same time, right? Because oh, it's 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 a theme that people respect and love so much. And if I was to do to, to, to butcher it, that would <laughs> probably be the end of my career right there as a Sonic <laughs> composer, or maybe not. But um, but I'm glad people enjoyed it. I know I sure had a blast working on that particular track. I mean, I imagine that's like, you know, being the guitarist of a band that's just starting to get some recognition. And then, you know, your vocalist comes in one day and is like, hey, guys, we're going to cover Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fair comparison. 
but yeah, that is my uh, my list. Um, I, I think they're both incredibly great lists. I, I could probably give you a top 20 list with this, but uh, thankfully the formula for this segment is a top five, so we don't have to worry about doing top 20s here. Uh, we have <laughs> one more quick segment. Um, it is called the eShop Gem of the Week. And basically it's an opportunity for me to shout out or the guest to shout out uh, something that is on the Nintendo eShop that it maybe wouldn't necessarily get the shine uh, in any other spot on the podcast. I did not prep you on this, so I'm not going to ask you to provide an eShop gem. So don't worry about that. Um, uh, unless you have one off the top of your no, head. No, I don't. I, 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 man, I make more music for games than I play games these days, unfortunately. Especially hey, that's this year. Fair. been insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so I'll give one real quick. And it's just a game called Heave Ho. And it is a uh, cooperative game, but, you know, it's kind of one of those cooperative games where you can uh, play it with your friends or you can play it against your friends, if you know what I'm saying, where it's like you can get in their way and screw them over. Uh, Basically, like you're these like little like little creatures and all you have are two arms and you have to grab onto each other's hands and swing each other across these like platforming challenges. And you can like grab the ceiling and then grab your friend's hand and then using the controls you throw each other across and they have to grab it and then you have to kind of get over to them. And it's uh, just a really fun, really frustrating. But like, if you have a good group, (laughs) it is just endless supply of laugh. So this Um, is like a party game. Yeah, absolutely. A party game. It's one to four players, uh, local. And uh, I, we, we discovered it when we did our extra life stream back in um, God, it's gotta be 2019 was when we did it. And it was just a really fun party game to play we were yelling at like you know out of fun like we were yelling like oh we almost got it and then like of course you reset back and you're like all right now i know what we have to do but it's coordination (laughs) between multiple people so it's it's just a really fun time i highly recommend it yeah Um, that sounds chaotic i definitely a great party game if (laughs) absolutely it's available it's available on Switch right now. Um, as of this recording, it's on sale for $4. Unfortunately, this episode is coming out a week uh, from now, from when we're recording this. So I don't know if it's still going to be on sale, but even if it's not on sale, it's $10. So it's not that big of a, a an investment. If you do want to check it out, I really recommend it. Came out on Switch in 2019. So check it out. It's called Heave Ho. But uh, T, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of All Things Nintendo. Brian, thank you so, so much. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk to you, man. Absolutely. Let's do this again sometime soon. And uh, good luck with launching Sonic Superstars. I can't wait to hear the entire soundtrack. Man, I can't wait to show it to you and to the fans. So thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Do me a favor. If you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button. And if you have any questions or comments, you want to get them in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Brian Pichet. Also checking out Threads and Blue Sky, both at Brian Pichet, if you are dipping your toe into those waters. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. T, can you tell people where they can find you online? They can find me on Twitter. Oh, it's not Twitter anymore. <laughs> do we call it Twitter still? I'm still what, calling what we it do Twitter. In situations like this. So you can find me on Twitter, uh, T Lopes. It's uh, all together. Um, and also on my website, www.tlopesmusic.com. And also you can find my music in a few upcoming games. So that's another way to find me in, in some way. <laughs> and of course, if, uh, upcoming games and past games like Sonic Superstars, Streets of Rage well. 4 DLC, TMNT Shredder's Revenge, 
lots of amazing work. And then you have a YouTube channel that has a wealth of amazing uh, music that you've done as well. So highly recommend checking out all of those things. T's a great follow. But that is our show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.